Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of In Depth with Beth and Seth, a podcast of Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis, where we take a bit of a deeper dive into the message and theme and preaching from the prior Sunday. So we are today talking uh, about what was preached on April 18th, 2021, after a very difficult week in Minneapolis. I am Beth Hoffman Faith, Minister for Congregational Care and Worship at Plymouth, and I am joined by my dear colleague and the preacher of the week, Seth Patterson. Hi, Seth. Hello. I am glad, as always, to be in conversation with you, Beth Hoffman Faith. My name is Seth. I am the Minister for Spiritual Formation and Theater here at Plymouth Church in Minneapolis. And yeah, I said words yesterday. Well, I said them Thursday, but people maybe heard them yesterday. Correct. The title of your sermon, How Do I Share My Wounds? Powerful title. Based on two scripture passages, one from the book of Acts chapter 3 and another from the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. And we are in this post-Easter season talking about stewardship and broadening our understanding of that word and, and how it fits into our lives of faith. And this last week has been a tough week. Minneapolis after many, many difficult weeks. And so, Seth, I was thinking about you a lot as at the same time kind of giving thanks that I didn't have to preach this week, (laughs) (laughs) to be perfectly honest. The same way that I am very grateful that I preached last week and not this week with the probable verdict in the Chauvin case. Uh, We'll we'll let Dwayne handle that one. Mm. So I guess that's what I wanted to talk about first with you is just the complications that are involved in writing, crafting, and preaching a sermon following a tragic event and what that did for you in this last week, how that that shifted what you thought you might talk about to what you ended up preaching. I had a conversation with a colleague of mine in a church that's near Brooklyn Center where the shooting of Dante Wright happened. And this pastor was talking about how this church has been going through some uh, racial justice work, really gathering in groups and reading together and and beginning this work in earnest together. And But what this pastor was hearing from the congregation in regards to their some of their emails was, don't talk about this. Mm. We need sustenance. We need feel. So don't bring this thing in to church this Sunday. And this clergy said, I have no choice. And that's that's the place that we are put in, right? That to not respond says something. That silence, that that deflection says more actually than anything we would we could say. If I didn't say something about what's happening, that would say more than that 15 minutes of words did say. And so we are called to serve a community, but we are also called to interpret text and be the hands, the feet, and and voices of God in our communities. And sometimes those things are at tension. We have to name it. And luckily, in when we were coming up with our stewardship things, just absurdly lucky that because of the texts of this Sunday, we decided that it would be on the stewardship of our grief or anger or something. I, I didn't know exactly what it would be, but luckily it just happened to be to fit what, what I needed, what I felt I needed to say. Yes. There's an old saying, you know, that we are called to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. 
Yeah. I think about that a lot in preaching because I know people were coming yesterday in all churches everywhere with different needs. And I think it's particularly challenging to figure out how we address that variety of needs, knowing that it's impossible, really. And, the, and you have to choose kind of a direction. The last sermon I preached was on the fact that in order to find healing, we have to look directly at the thing, mm. the thing that's hurting us. And so it would be then I would be not listening to myself, which I often don't listen to myself, to then ignore mm -hmm. this. We, In order to heal from what is happening, we have to look at what is happening. And we have to look at ourselves and how we are reacting to what's happening. And we also, I think as preachers, need to be able to be vulnerable while we're attempting to be prophetic. I mean, I'm thinking about a time after Philando Castile was killed, and I addressed that in a Sunday morning. And during my sermon, someone stood up and walked out. Uh -huh. And I was serving a small enough church where it was noticeable. And I had a really difficult conversation with that person later because I didn't really know why they had walked out. And I found out through a direct conversation that they didn't agree with anything that I had said. And it became a bit of an unraveling for me within that community as their minister. And so there is tension around standing in what we have been commissioned to do and risking feedback that can be destructive. I was super nervous yesterday. I couldn't sit down and watch it because I, I still am nervous about what might come at me mm. and yet also nervous that I will just hear nothing because mm. that silence is also like we said before, says something. And this is not a request for me. I said this to a group this morning and, and somebody responded like, oh, and I, it's my fault that I haven't been emailing. He was like, no, I don't need more emails. I don't know what I need. But silence is, says something. And it, it can be as, as damning as appointed criticism. Because at least of criticism, I can potentially have a conversation with, like you were saying. You had to talk to the person. Well, let's know. talk a little bit about what you said, because it is important. So this is a sermon about anger. Yeah. And you give us permission to be angry in through this sermon, which I didn't realize until I heard it. I heard it on Thursday. I heard it yesterday. I've read it since then. How important that felt as a receiver. Yes, because I think many of us are struggling with our feelings and emotions. We, we can't find the words for them. We're, we're conflicted because we want to support the police, but we, we can no longer stand for the brutality for the, for the way that our black and brown siblings are being murdered. And it is difficult, at least I guess I can speak for myself, as a white woman with privilege to know how to feel. And so I appreciated your willingness to be vulnerable and talking about your own anger and identifying that and then inviting us to explore our anger too. Anger is incredibly useful, right? And it, we feel it whether we want to or not. Useful. That's an interesting word because I don't, I know for me personally, I'm terrible with anger. I think what, is anger, that, what does it mean to be terrible with anger? Oh, I avoid it. I don't like to be angry. I don't know what to do with it. I've never been able to express it well. I can stew silently in my own anger without feeling anything constructive through it. So I think anger is complicated. Oh, absolutely. And I also believe that perhaps I've been conditioned to not be angry. As women often are. Correct. In our culture, women are asked to not be, to do exactly what you just described. Mm -hmm. Hold it in. Keep up the appearances, but you still feel it, whether you know what to do with it or not, it's still in you. And what 
and this is not something so i'm not an expert in anger i also don't like being angry i don't i'm often don't get angry like i i have a, a very high threshold before i sort of pop into an anger place but it was not until i read the texts that the lectionary handed to me that i thought about that all of this somehow is rooted in our wounds that what we get angry about is directly connected back into what has hurt us in the past or what we're afraid will hurt us in the future. Those wounds are what the anger can come out of. And if we don't analyze or, or recognize or hug, love, take care of our wounds, then we will never know what to do with the anger because it can be surprising or disconnected. And we don't know why all of a sudden we're angry. And when you don't know what to do with it, you try to control it. And gripping tightly anger doesn't usually help, <laughs> even if you think, you know, outwardly it might, but inwardly, all it does is just maybe fester the wound more. I think you're right. And I think that maybe that's where a light bulb moment is that our anger is connected to our wounds. It was a I light think, bulb for me. I think it's easy to connect anger to fear because I also think that an, an angry response comes from our fear. But, you know, again, where is our fear rooted often in the places we feel most sensitive, most vulnerable, where we have been wounded or hold our scars. Trying um, to protect ourselves. Right. And so I guess, and again, anger is a really large component of grief. And mm -hmm. so much of what is being expressed right now to me are people grieving. Grief comes out in a variety of ways and anger is one response. And often one of the major ones and the one that we don't then reassociate with grief. We hold sadness as grief, but then when we're angry, we think it's a different thing. Mm. That connection of the anger to the grief, we don't hold, we don't put together, but it's more common or as common as sadness. Yes. So I think all these things are really just the way that you invited us to identify and live into the fact that we're angry and it's okay. And then you talk about this idea around stewardship, which I would guess for many who heard the sermon is a new concept, like to be stewards of your anger. What does that mean? Yeah, it was new. It was a new concept. Like all of this is new to me. Like this is, <laughs> these are not things that I have studied and held. And, you know, now is the time to talk about it. I discovered this as I was writing. As I sat in my office and sobbed writing this sermon, I've never done that before. There's something about the processing of this anger and trying to figure it out and learning as I went through the writing about the wounds. I broke down. I just broke down. Again, manifested grief right there yeah, coming exactly. to the surface and needing to be let out. And so you say some important things about ways we can steward our anger. For me, one of the most important things that you said is that we have to be very careful that we are stewarding our own anger and not other people's. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that? Part of writing a sermon and in, in hoping to be effective in helping people hear is to somewhat anticipate what some of the reactions could be. And what I kept hearing in my, in my head was people saying, well, those people do this. And I, and I needed, I wanted to get out in front and say, I'm not talking about what those people do. I'm asking what you do. I'm thinking about what I do. I don't get to control how you're angry, Beth. You don't get to control how, or not control is the wrong word. You don't get to steward my anger and I don't get to steward yours. I can support you. I can be with you. I can love you, but it's not my anger to steward. So part of it was just that refocusing that there's only so many things that we actually can care for in our world. And one of the main things is ourselves and anger is part of who you are. And what I hear in that is we also cannot judge another person's anger, right? We need to take care of our own. 
we need to address our own. I really didn't want, one of my concerns was, you know, when when we preach, I kind of know who I'm preaching to. I don't know everybody who's watching, but I know who was in the pews and I know the group that we're talking to. But sometimes when people are listening, they think that we're talking to all human beings everywhere. But we're at, we're not. We're we're preaching to this congregation as much as we understand it. And what I didn't want is somebody to come back and say, "Yeah, those people who are out there looting, they're wrong." Mm-hmm. Because I don't want that to be part of the conversation. Because how they manifest their anger, because they are not heard unless they break a window. That's not part of how you steward your anger. That's not part of how I do it. They have to come to terms with their own stewardship of their anger. And that still could be justified in the, in the time. I don't know. That's, but I didn't want that to be how quickly we like to pivot and make it about other people so we don't have to look at our own selves. I didn't want that to happen. And I, I think that was a wise choice and helpful for us to kind of stay in our own lane, looking at our own stuff. You use the Dalai Lama a couple of times in the sermon, particularly talking about, you know, how anger gets expressed and the different ways it gets expressed. Because one of the questions I had as I was thinking about this is what happens when our anger gets so kinetic that we do something destructive or we lash out in a way that isn't helpful at all, or it leads to hate. Yeah. I think what I agree with the Dalai Lama is that our anger does not lead to hate. Our anger can be rooted in hate already and then manifest out from that. And that's, again, the reason why we look at our own wounds. What are our What is our own woundedness creating in us? Is it creating compassion or creating hatred? And not that those are the only two options, but they're sort of indicative of two different directions. But yeah, it can be constructive. It can be destructive uh, to ourselves as well to uh, as to others. And so the stewardship idea is that both we have to again stewardship as you mentioned this is not about control. Mm-mm. It's about caring for Correct. and being curious about. And so the two sides of the stewardship of anger were one: you have to figure out where it comes from, and love that, and care for it, and figure out how you can process that with people you trust. Jesus didn't show his wounds to everybody. He just went to the people he trusted and showed them. Mm-hmm. But then the other side of it is what happens when you inevitably get angry. And there are times you have to apologize. There are times you have to apologize for your actions, not your anger, but what your anger created. But the more I think that you know where your anger is rooted, the better care you can take so that your anger does not become destructive. Well, and I, th- I think you propose something really significant that you lead us into thinking about using our anger to create spaces for healing. You talk about how we can constructively use our anger for a compassionate outcome. Yeah. And again, I learned that from, from the Bible, from, from the acts, Peter, before he yelled at everybody, healed someone. Mm -hmm. He didn't become it. That was all part of the same anger. Right. And important too, as we, again, wait and watch fret, around what's happening with the Chauvin trial and the impending ruling verdict. verdict Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, I think we're all holding our breath a bit. Uh, Our anger may be festering. We are wondering what's next for our communities and how we might use our anger to fuel systemic change. Well, thank you for preaching the sermon, Seth, and for 
not only giving us permission to be angry and to identify that anger, but what we might be able to do with it as we, again, steward our own anger and not others, mm-hmm. lose the judgment around other people's anger, uh, but pay close attention to what has created our anger response. If we stop using our energy to judge other people's anger, then maybe we'll use it to care for and steward our own. That's healing. Amen, my friend. Amen. Perfect place to end. Thanks for helping me work through this. I'm still figuring it out. Well, again, thanks for preaching an excellent sermon. I'm so grateful for all those who are listening. And we welcome your comments and suggestions as we continue this podcast journey. I can tell you all, it is a highlight of my week to spend time with you, Seth, in these important conversations. So my friends, uh, we, your Plymouth clergy, are deep in prayer this week, as I know you are too. And let us remember, be mindful of the ways that we can reach out and stand with and make change and may justice rule. Amen, Beth. Bye, everyone.